0: It's Showtime. Don't say it. Please, don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime! It's Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Hello and welcome back to the Showtime movie podcast. As always, I am Show, your host. Thank you for listening again on this very hot day. I mentioned at the beginning of the last podcast that it's a... extremely hot outside and it has not changed, but hey, you know, it's August, depending on where you're listening from, maybe it's cooler, maybe it's hotter. Anyways, can't complain too much about the weather. It's always nice to have some heat. I mentioned before that uh, I like the heat better than the cold. So you know what? I guess I'm getting what I wished for. I'm getting what I wished for. It's the summer But you know what? What comes with summer is the blockbusters. We talk a lot about blockbusters on this program because, you know, I like those kind of movies. And they are, I guess, the main movie that's available to you, the viewer, when you go out to movie theaters in the summer, right? So, you know, no better time than to talk about uh, the kind of film. And uh, something else that happens in the summer. I, I want to get to some news. Okay, uh, like I said, something else that happened this summer. That happens every summer is Comic Con, and Comic Con has Comic Con has grown quite a bit over the years in terms of what's showcased at Comic Con. Right? It's usually before. I mean, I, I guess it was implied always that Comic Con was about comics, and of course, over the many years, over the last ten years, even I would say it's it's become more of a pop culture event right where people line up for the infamous Hall H and all the different you know exhibitors whether it's movie studios or video games or television programs or whatever coming to these this Hall H and presenting all their wares I guess whether it's trailers or or you know big time guests and so on and presenting them for the audience to consume and of course in today's day and age you know all that information is kind of disseminated more or less immediately via twitter right so it's not a secret, but I guess being there in person means you get to experience it for yourself, which is always really cool. I got to go to the Star Wars convention uh, in Chicago last a couple months ago, and that's really cool. I mean, uh, an experience I'll never forget is hearing the Emperor laugh in the Rise of Skywalker trailer and seeing the crowd. Like The ripple of excitement that went through the crowd is something I think that is akin to... The energy that happens in a sporting event when someone catches the game-winning touchdown or makes the game-winning basket or, you know, scores the game-winning goal or whatever, right? It's pretty cool. So for those who were not able to go, however, I want to take a little bit of time on this episode to break down one of the larger offerings at Comic-Con, the Marvel Studios panel. And they had 10 new things to announce. It's kind of nuts. Some of those 10 things are items that we knew about, and they just announced release dates. Some of those things are we had no idea what it was before, but a lot of the Phase 4 entries for Marvel Studios has been announced. So before we get to Disney's D23 conference, which is coming out later this month, or I guess next month in August, later in August I'll be coming out, But before, and I'm sure they'll be announcing some Phase 5 things, but before we get to that, I want to take some time and talk about the Phase 4 announcements at Marvel Studios panel at Comic-Con Okay, we won't spend too much time on the Marvel Studios San Diego Comic-Con stuff. You know, it's, a lot of it's pretty readily available. And you, If you're listening to this podcast, you probably already really care about that, which means you probably were paying attention as it was happening. But just in case you were not or just in case you didn't know every little detail about what was announced at the Marvel Studios Comic-Con panel, I wanted to talk about it a little bit with you, just a couple of minutes. Uh, and if you want to read about it instead of listen it, I have a great piece on OKCool.ca. I say great, I wrote it. Full disclosure, but I still think it summarizes everything pretty well, pretty succinctly, which is what you want, right? But let's get right into it. So of the 10 pieces, the 10 projects, let's say, 10 projects that were announced during this panel, five of them are television programs and five of them are movies, okay? And the television programs are going to be made available to you, the consumer, to me and you Via Disney Plus, right? And of course, we talked about this a little bit over the couple of months, last couple of months, but Disney has already released plans for their own streaming service, which is called, as you know, Disney Plus, right? It's a competitor to Netflix. And it's important to note that when Disney bought Fox, they acquired Fox's majority share in Hulu, which is, of course, another streaming service that's not available in Canada. Whereas uh, the Canadian's release date for Disney Plus is unclear, though Disney has confirmed, if you are Canadian, that the service will be available in Canada at some point. Probably won't be for the same price point because the American price point for Disney Plus, I believe, is $9.99 a month. And, you know, as we know, the Canadian price point to you know, dollar conversion is a little different. I, I'm going to guess $14.99 a month, maybe twelve ninety nine a month, something, something there thereabouts. So it'll be more than $9.99, I got to imagine. But back to Hulu, again, not available in Canada, but when Disney acquired Fox, they acquired... Fox's share in Hulu and Comcast owns the minority share in Hulu, so I believe you—you'll probably can expect to see at some point in the next year or so uh, Disney acquiring the full breadth of Hulu. Nothing really matters, and I think that's probably just for monetary purposes. But as far as control, creative control goes, Disney with the majority stakeholder, you know, they can do whatever the hell they want with Hulu. So between Hulu and Disney Plus, this is the reason I mention it is because. That'll be a large part of taking away from Netflix's subscriber base because we're kind of getting to the point now where everyone who like, you know, the problem with with cable is that, y- you know, you, you you couldn't pick and choose what you wanted, like a menu. Right. You had to just buy a cable package and that was a problem. And so with all the cord cutting, people are kind of the criticism is, oh, we're going back to cable because then you have to subscribe to this for one thing. You know, like Disney Plus for one thing, Netflix for another thing, Hulu for another thing, you know, CBS All Access, Showtime, and all these, uh, AMC, and all these different channels, everyone, HBO, they all have their different, you know, subscribing services, streaming services, and, you know, that's kind of a problem. I would argue that the benefit is that you can at least pick and choose. As someone who uses Netflix myself, and here in Canada, we have Crave, which lets you use, you know, Stars and HBO and all these other shows. I would argue that between Netflix, Crave, and now Disney Plus, you can pretty much get anything you want, right? Anyway, so that, that's the kind of streaming service situation. Uh, Netflix is, the Netflix competitor, Disney Plus, is being released to U.S. customers on November twelfth, 2019. So in a couple of months, not very long from now, uh, which is why they had to announce these five shows. So here are the five shows, okay? We, we already knew that The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and Loki, okay? We already knew about those three uh, TV shows, they they haven't released any details with the plot, but we do know that Falcon and the Winter Soldier will be coming out in fall of 2020, Wandavision spring of 2021, and Loki is spring of 2021 as well. So all of the actors will be reprising their roles. So Anthony Mackie who plays the Falcon, Sebastian Stan who plays the Winter Soldier, Elizabeth Olsen who plays the Scarlet Witch, Paul Bettany who plays the Vision who was dead, but I guess we'll see him come back in some in some fashion, and Tom Hiddleston who of course famously plays Loki. And I we kind of speculated before that with Tom Hiddleston, because, of course, he dies at the beginning of uh, Infinity War, right? And so because he does die, you see an endgame when they kind of have these alternate universes when they go back in time and then, you know, Loki flees with the Infinity Stone in the past and, like, in 2012. So they have have confirmed that Loki, the Loki show will be about that version of Loki, right? It'll be about this alternate universe Loki. So I guess we'll see how it works. Maybe that Loki will come back into the main you know, the main movie universe, the MCU in some fashion. Who knows? Maybe he won't, but I think it'll be a fascinating look at the continuing adventures of Loki considering Tom Hiddleston is so popular. Uh, Kevin Fage, who is the kind of president slash CEO of the Marvel Studios part of Disney, he also announced plans for two new Disney shows, and this was an actual new programming. There's a What If... Show which comes out in summer of 2021, and Hawkeye is getting his own show, which is fall of 2021 as well. So the What If Show, and it's literally just What If dot dot dot. That's the name of the series, and it was advertised as the first uh, MCU animated series. And Jeffrey Wright, who you may know from Westworld, he was the new Felix Leiter in the James in the in the rebooted James Bond movies with Daniel Craig. Jeffrey Wright is uh, going to be providing the voice of the Watcher. And uh, many of the actors from the existing properties will be lending their voices, I guess, to their characters once more. And to go to the Hawkeye one, you might imagine Jeremy Renner, who will reprise his role for Hawkeye, where it will also reportedly explore Clint Barton uh, teaching Kate Bishop, who is another talented individual, you know, without superpowers, uh, to become... The next Hawkeye, how to manage that kind of thing. They have very, very snazzy looks, also like in terms of the logos and stuff. Really cool. I, I like the Hawkeye one, I have to admit. And then, so those are the, those are the five television programs, of course, because they're television shows. You don't know what date exactly is going to be releasing, because I got to imagine like Disney Plus. The, uh, or like, like Netflix, I should say, Disney plus will be releasing everything in, you know, one big go, you know what I mean? Like it'll be able to binge the whole season and you know, for star Wars people, this is not something that was announced at the Marvel studios panel, obviously, but you know, star Wars, uh, another Disney property, right. And so the Mandalorian, which will be another television programming that's coming out uh, later this year. I believe, I believe the Mandalorian is going to be the first, um, you know, Disney plus Property to launch with the uh, with the service when it goes live. I think that's the hook, right? The, the Star Wars one is there, available right away. So um, that that's there's that as well. Five movies also, and Phage uh, dele- revealed some details on these on these new five movies. Again, some of it announced, but you know a lot of the re- release dates had not been announced. So let's go. Uh let's go in order actually. I was going to say let's go in order of how it was it being announced at the panel, but I don't want to do that. Let's go let's go in order of when these movies are coming out to theaters, okay? So which means that the first one coming out on May 1st, 2020 is Black Widow. And of course, you know, we knew Black Widow was filming and Scarlett Johansson may be gone from the overall MCU with, you know, Romanov's on timely death and Endgame, but like I said, the prequel has been filming for a while. Some footage from the film was apparently shown at the panel, which reportedly shows Natasha returning to Budapest after the events of civil war, and then she later meets/slash fights uh, the infamous Taskmaster villain. Right, so he's going to be the bad guy in the movie. And another little detail, kind of cool one. It'll be the first time that the coveted, you know, "quote unquote" beginning of summer blockbuster tentpole is given to a female-led uh, flick, which is pretty cool, right? And other other. Actors are David Harbour, Florence Pugh, O.T. Fagbeneli, and uh, Rachel Weiss. And it's directed by Kate Shortland. The next one coming out is The Eternals, or just, I think it's just Eternals. It's not it's not The Eternals, it's just Eternals, which is coming out November 6th, 2020. Uh, not much is known about The Eternals other than, you know, really their humanoid race of super beings are created by another race called The Celestials. And The Eternals live on Earth and have protected it from cosmic threats through time. And, you know, I guess the idea is that they're so long lived that many of their, I guess, group have inspired myths, right? Like Greek, Roman, Norse, kind of like the kind of like Thor and his ilk have inspired, and you know, other 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 uh, myths as, as well. And uh, it has a very star studded cast, all of whom were there: uh, Angelina Jolie, Richard Madden, Kumail Nanjiani, Lauren Ridloff, Brian D- Tyree Henry, Salma Hayek. You know. Leah McHugh and Don Lee, and it's directed by Chloe Zhao, which is pretty cool. Seems destined kind of a, I I imagine, for a takeoff akin to Guardians of the Galaxy, though I I would imagine that the comedy will be a little toned down and the kind of, kind of like cosmic drama, I guess, that surrounds them will be kind of pumped up a little bit. I'd like to say, though, that I, on this very podcast, on last episode I had to do with Spider-Man Far From Home, and we had Mark Stanush on, and we did some predicting at the end of it, and uh, I predicted that Black Widow and Eternals would be the two movies coming out in 2020 for Marvel as they focus on Disney+. Plus. So there you go. Bam! Nailed that shit, you know? Nailed it. So uh, there you go. And the other three movies are actual new projects, so we'll get to those three right now. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is coming out on February 12th, 2021 and that's kind of cool because we we knew the Shang-Chi movie was in development and we knew that Destin Danielle Cretton was attached to direct and that's all we knew okay and we didn't know it was actually called Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings you know we only knew that it was a movie about him uh, but of course now we know that's what it's called the first Asian led superhero flick and uh, the titular role had not been cast but uh Kim's Convenience, a CBC show, actually, star Simu Liu, was announced to the crowd at the convention. He was there, a Chinese-Canadian actor, actually lives in the same building as me, actually. Pretty funny. I met the guy a couple times when we were, like, getting our mail. So, pretty nice, very nice guy. I was going to say pretty nice, but he's a super nice guy. Couldn't have happened to a, a nicer dude. You know, he'll be accompanied by Aquafina and Tony Leung, and it'll be announced it was announced, I should say, that popular villain the Mandarin will be for real, not Iron Man 3, but will be for real introduced for the first time, which is pretty cool, right? So the next movie on the list is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That's coming out May 7th, 2021. Benedict Cumberbatch is returning to play the Sorcerer Supreme, and he'll be joined this time around by Elizabeth Olsen's Scarlet Witch. Uh, It's what's being called the—or billed as, I I should say— "Quote unquote, the first scary MCU film, even though it has a PG-13 rating. But you know, Scott Derrickson is coming back to to, to direct as well, and uh, it's kind of interesting. They're going to try something a little different in terms of tone and feel. I'm kind of excited. And uh, with Olsen's involvement, it'll also reportedly tie into the Wandavision series we mentioned earlier on Disney Plus. And you know, who said corporate synergy is a bad thing, right? So that's the fourth movie, and the last movie they announced. In terms of release date, Thor, Love, and Thunder, i.e. Thor 4, coming out on November 5th, 2021. And I, I, it's not a shock, right? I mean, Thor Ragnarok, Thor 3, wildly successful. Mar- Marvel must have been somewhat, you know, reticent to abandon the new look, the new feel of Thor and that of his crew, right? Because Thor 1 and 2 were kind of like Shakespearean kind of uh, drama, and whereas the 3 three, and then uh, Thor in um, Infinity War and Endgame were a little, a little more lighthearted and a little cooler, right? So... You know, they they used Chris Hemsworth uh, comedy chops a little bit more, right? So we had gotten the Thor 4 announcement via Twitter a couple of weeks ago. But at the actual convention, uh, Phage trotted out uh, Chris Hemsworth himself, Tessa Thompson, director Taika Waititi, who is returning, and Natalie Portman. And, you know, the Oscar-winning actress hadn't appeared in a Marvel movie since 2013's Thor The Dark World. And I'm not counting that, you know, half a second scene in Endgame. But Fage dropped a bombshell on the crowd anyways, which is that Portman will be the new Thor, which is kind of cool, right? It's a relatively recently, a relatively recent, I should say, a run of comics uh, from Jason Aaron's Mighty Thor so I guess they're gonna be adapting that. Maybe maybe Thor dies in Thor four. Maybe he just becomes Odin's son and Natalie Portman's Jane Foster becomes Thor? Who knows, right? Kinda of cool. Fun passing of the hammer, I guess, not a torch anymore. Hammer. And uh, that kind of wrapped up all the official release dates. And Phage kind of offhanded mentioned Black Panther 2, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. He mentioned the Fantastic Four and the Mutants, obviously hinting at the X-Men. Uh, nothing beyond a few passing words in their direction. I'm guessing that, like I mentioned, Disney's D23 conference will have more on Black Panther 2, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and Captain Marvel 2. Those will be the three projects I think we hear a little bit more on for Phase 5 in... Uh, and in in later this month, like later, I keep saying this month, it's not August show, come on. Later in August, and um, next year's Comic Con will have some more on the X Men and the Fantastic Four, that's my guess. And the last surprise of the panel, which is pretty cool, as a two time Oscar winner, Mahershala Ali walked out. And he donned a hat. Everyone had hats for their own projects, right? And uh, Ali walked out and donned a hat of his own, which announced the final project of the evening, which is Blade. So the vampire hunter is back with a vengeance. And, you know, maybe Wesley Snipes will make a cameo if he can, you know, maybe pay his taxes on time. But they didn't announce any release date for Blade, but they just announced that Mahershala Ali has been cast as Blade, which is really cool. Perfect casting, in my opinion. He's obviously an amazing actor. I guess someone at Disney watched Alita Battle Angel and was like, huh, this is basically Blade. Let's let's cast this guy as Blade. So kind of neat, right? So there you go. If you want if you want some more, like I said, you can go read all that stuff on okaycool.ca. It's right on the front page. You can find it written by me. So uh, I highly recommend you go watch it. But yeah, that is it for the Marvel Studios. Comic-Con panel announcements. There are some other stuff as well. Like I mentioned, they touched on some of the, you know, phase five stuff, but for the most part, they focus on these uh, five shows and five movies. And like I mentioned, later in August, not going to mess that one up a third time, later in August, we will see on phase five. Time to get into the actual movie discussion of this movie podcast in terms of movies that are in theaters now. And, uh, you know, you're going to call me a Disney shell. I know I'm a shell because last week we had like a 40-minute discussion on Spider-Man Far From Home. And this week we talked about Marvel Studios. And now we're going to talk about The Lion King. I know. I'm sorry. Next week I promise we'll get away from Disney. But for now, I really want to talk about The Lion King because, I mean, of course, Virtually everyone who goes to see movies has probably seen the original Lion King. I'm not saying everyone who goes to see movies has seen the new Lion King, the CGI Lion King, you know, I, quote unquote live action, even though it's all CGI. Not saying that everyone has seen that movie, but I am saying that most people, I would say like 90% of people who love movies. So if you're listening to this, mo- this podcast, you probably love movies, has seen the original that came out in the early 90s, right? Lovingly animated, very, very famous film. Spawns lots of memes. Everyone loves that movie. And this version, John Favreau's version, is the latest Disney film from the Disney Renaissance to be remade into a live-action film, right? Of course, we got Aladdin earlier this summer, and now we're getting The Lion King. So without further ado, let's get right into the review for The Lion King because there's lots to talk about. So John Favreau's latest for Disney, not his first, but his latest... The re adaptation of The Lion King. That song never gets old to me, you know. I know it's lampooned in a bajillion different ways, but it's so good. It's just it's just great. I love I love listening to it. it. Just it evokes a certain feeling, and I would argue that for a lot of people, it evokes nostalgia. You know, like because like I said in the kind of preamble, there, everyone has seen the original one, which means that everyone knows that song and what it signifies and what it means and what is coming afterwards. Right, the sun the sunrise. Uh, you know, all the animals heading to Pride Rock, everything like that, right? It's a very famous movie scene. The Lion King is a very famous movie, period, right? I mean, look, not only is The Lion King one of the highest grossing animated films of all time, one of the highest, most critically acclaimed animated films of all time, you know, with some, you know, Oscar, Oscar wins galore, shaping children's childhoods. Not only is it all of that, right? But it's also the most successful Broadway play of all time, and now it's re-entering into the cultural zeitgeist, I guess, right? In terms of being available to people again. And it's it's kind of a weird experience when you go see it. Like, if, you, if you're a fan of the original, which I, I would imagine that most people who are going to see it are, unless you're a young child and you just haven't seen the original, right? I would imagine that you feel one of two ways. You either feel you, like, you just loved it. It's so exciting. You're going to go re, like, you know, revisit your childhood as an adult all over again. Or you're like me and you kind of think, man, that was a weird experience. That was a strange experience. And he, and here's why, okay? I want to talk about the pros and cons like we usually do. And the pros are good ones, right? Like, the pros in a nutshell are the songs are all amazing as you remember. The voice acting is top-notch and how could it not be with a cast like it has? And the C- CGI is amazing, right? I mean, let's, let's tackle each one of those things before we move on to the cons, because the cons are, are kind of a little layered in terms of how I want to talk about them, but the voice acting, okay? Let me just give you a taste of, you know, the voice stars, the voice actors of this movie, right? Because there's a real who's who in terms of celebrities. Chiwetel Ejiofor, John Oliver, James Earl Jones Returns, Alfred Woodard, Keegan-Michael Key, Eric Andre, Seth Rogen, Billy Eichner, Donald Glover, and Beyonce. Okay, so you've probably heard of every single one of those people because they're all extremely famous. And they do a really good job. The voice acting is top-notch. I would say it's kind of strange because the dialogue is virtually exactly the same, right? There's of course they change a handful of things here and there, but they it's it's all almost exactly line for line and even shot for shot in terms of the visuals, exactly exactly the same and I guess that just makes me wonder why bother get so many famous people when you can just have someone who are, you know... Are people, are, are people really going to see Seth Rogen as Pumbaa? You know what I mean? Are people really going... Even though Beyoncé is amazing, are people really going to see Beyoncé as Nala when she has what? 20 lines? 30 lines? Nala is not exactly, dialogue-wise, a huge part of the original movie. Yeah, Nala, the character is because Nala has to go back and fetch Simba, and she, her arrival kind of... You know, nudges him to re-examine what he's doing there, and kind of brings him out of his kind of like stupor that he's in there with Timon and Pumbaa. And it's just interesting because do you really need Beyonce for that? Do you know what I mean? Like, are people did Disney really make that much more money because Beyonce is in this movie, or Donald Glover as Simba, or anyone? I would argue that the most important one in this entire film was James Earl Jones because he is the original voice. I mean, I also think it's kind of funny because James Earl Jones. His voice noticeably sounds older and that's not a knock against the guy. The guy is old now, right? He wasn't like, I mean, he was, he was old ish in the, in the early nineties. He's he's an older actor in general, but I mean, I'm not knocking the guy. Like I said, I mean, I love him. He's Darth Vader and so on, but it's just his voice sounds noticeably older before. And it just made me wonder, like he already recorded his lines back in the nineties. They couldn't just dig up the tapes from the, the Disney vault and just, you know, have everyone react to it. It would have been exactly the same and probably would have sounded better, frankly. But hey, you know what? Not complaining. They got James Earl Jones in the studio again. He's a legend. He's a treasure. You can't really complain that much. I just just thought that kind of was a little bit funny. Uh, CGI, amazing. What more is there to say? It looks incredibly, almost frighteningly lifelike. It's, it's It's absolutely gorgeous what they did. Like, if you thought The Jungle Book and all those other movies that they do were really, really, like, in terms of visual, really stunning, the Lion King takes it to a next level. Like, you can see the hairs on the lions, you can see, you know, the the depths of their eyes, you can see all these different things, the, the dust that comes when their paws touch the ground, the flutters of Zazu's feathers, you know, they do zoom-ups, zoom-ins, I should say, on Timon and Pumbaa's faces, and I would only say that perhaps the only con to the CGI being so realistic is that some of these animals are kind of frightening. I mean, like, puma is scary looking he's like just dirty and scary looking and i mean that's probably what a hog looks like i'm not complaining about that necessarily it's just funny because it's like he's not as cuddly as you imagine him to look like back when you know the comics were there the the cartoon was doing it back in the early 90s right and of course the songs we'll get into the songs i mean they're all as amazing as you remember they're the highlights of the film you know, it's kind of a treat to hear Donald Glover and Beyonce sing, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Right, which of course was originally written by Elton John. And it was it was cool. I have to admit that that was neat. Maybe that's why you get Beyonce. But I mean, do you really? You know, I don't know. It's just do you really need Beyonce to sing a song for like two minutes when you know she, you could have gotten someone else, probably less expensive? I guess Disney doesn't care. This movie's breaking in the dough. Doesn't probably really matter to them because they're not going to make a Lion King two, right? Like Return to Pride Rock or whatever the hell it was called with all of these voice actors, because they can just remake another movie, right? I mean, we already know they're remaking Mulan, and they, we already know they're remaking the last The Little Mermaid. I was going to say The Last Mermaid, like The Last Samurai, but The Little Mermaid and Mulan. And we have already, there's no trailer for The Little Mermaid, but we have seen the trailer for Mulan. Looks pretty cool. Looks like they're trying something a little different. And I, that kind of brings me to, I think, my major issue with The Lion King, if we, if we could get into the cons now, right? Is that there's no change to this movie. There's absolutely, no, in no way, shape, or form, anything different about the narrative of The Lion King. There was a chance for them to do something different. Like let's let's look at Aladdin. Remember when I did the Aladdin review? They changed some things. Like they didn't change major plot beats, but I mean, like they changed the idea of Jasmine becoming you know the Sultan and how you know that's a more that's a more modern story beat, right? They changed um, Jafar's motivation, right? They changed how he is, you know, like he was imprisoned in another country. They changed his motivations. They changed like some things to update it for twenty nineteen. And maybe maybe that's because there are humans involved, right? But there are no humans in the Lion King. But yet they they could have changed it a little bit. Like they could have, like for example, there there could have been something interesting about like a more maybe a more Shakespearean take on the Lion King with a brother killing brother and assuming the throne and child running away and coming back to reclaim what is his, right? Like I mean, of course we know it's based on Hamlet and so on, but. At the same time, you're telling me they couldn't have done something more interesting than just remake the movie shot for shot? I mean, like, there's, like, you know that shot where Mufasa dies and Simba sees Mufasa's body, like, fall into the crowd of wildebeest and he gets, like, trampled or whatever? And, and in, the, in the movie, the shot is cl- – in the original, I should say – the shot is close up on cartoon Simba's face. And then he goes, no, and it zooms out, like, really quickly. It zooms out and Sim- Simba ends up in the top right corner and you see the valley below him, right? So as he's screaming, no, right? They did that exact shot in the or in the uh, the new one, and it's all I could think of was was that necessary? You know, like did they need to do that? I don't personally really think so. And if there's no changes to any of the dialogue, and there's no changes to many of the shots, then what the hell is the point of this movie other than evoking nostalgia? Right? I mean, like even the animals themselves, because they're so lifelike. There is very little to zero emotion coming from them because their faces don't they're just like lying they're just lying standing there opening and closing their jaws and the actors voices coming out of their mouths right and because there's pretty much zero emotion and it's it's easy to forget until i went back and rewatched the original after i saw this new one and so much of the original is based on their expressions. You know what I mean? Like so much of how the dialogue lands for you, the viewer, in your head, is based on their expressions. Because, like for example, Timon saying something kind of weird and then kind of like raising an eyebrow and you, and his his giant smile, and then you hear Nathan Lane's voice, right? And Billy Eichner does a tremendous job with Timon, but it's just like because Timon as a as a character doesn't emote, right? You can't really—it's just—it's so weird to say. You can't really see the emotions on this meerkat's face, and that there, something is lost there. Something is lost there. It's even worse for a character like Pumbaa because his face doesn't change at all. Maybe his eyebrows waggle a teeny little bit, and it's a shame because Seth Rogen is great as Pumbaa. I don't know. It's just—it's kind of strange as a complaint because. It just seems very lifeless to me, and it's it's weird because it's so lifelike, right? like it's visually so real, and it's so fake at the same time it's it's I guess my complaint really if like I said before, if you're not changing the visuals in terms of how things are shot, you're just you're just copying the original cartoon shot for shot, and you're you're barely changing the dialogue, you're not changing the story beats, you're really just updating the original with new visuals in terms of how the animals look and, you know, star-studded cast, right? If that's what you're doing, then to go back to it, what the hell is the point of making this movie in the first place other than to evoke nostalgia? That's my main issue, right? It's just like my tweet after the movie came out was simply... It's just an exercise in digital animation rather than storytelling. And Disney, as a company that has become so known, has endeared themselves to so many for their amazing storytelling, this is so lazy. It's so lazy. And it just feels so weird to level a criticism of lazy at this movie considering how lovingly animated it was. But it's just, I don't know. It's, I hope you know what I'm getting at because it's just, it's, it's just kind of disappointing. It's disappointing, and I think Disney could have done better. And I mean, look, for many, maybe for you, not for me, but for, for many people, nostalgia is enough, right? Because if you look at the difference on Rotten Tomatoes, it's pretty crazy. Like It's standing at a 53% from the critics to an 88% by the average moviegoer, right? And it's important to remember that a fresh rating from critics is a 6 out of 10 or higher, which means that 53% of people who saw Lion King gave it a 6 out, of 10, 6 out of 10 or higher, which I think seems fair, right? Because like I would probably give it exactly a 6 out of 10, right? I wouldn't give it a 5.5. I'd give it a 6 out of 10. I went with my girlfriend. She said she'd also give it a 6 out of 10 because we kind of had the same complaints. We're about the same age. That, I think, is fair because it's basically about half of the people are giving it a 6 out of 10 or higher. Half of the people are giving it less, right? Right. And I think a lot of people seem to have the same complaints as I am. It's just, what's the point? But here, look, if you like the songs of The Lion King, except for Be Prepared, because that's actually not really a song. It's just kind of like a spoken... It's like, imagine like a slam beat poetry, right? It's, like a, it's kind of like, a, like an evil speech that Scar gives instead of a song, which I guess is what it is in the original. But the song is so good with Jeremy Irons and Jim Cummings, and, and this one is not a song, right? So that's kind of disappointing. But all the other songs are in there. Beyoncé adds a new song herself, for a couple minutes as Simba's running back to the pride lands as an adult. And then Elton John actually records a new song, a plays over the credits, which is kind of cool considering he wrote the original that I believe won him an Oscar, right? So there you go. Songs are as amazing as you remember. And if you just want, if all you're looking for is to just hear the songs again with a new cast, then look, the Lion King delivers, right? But if you want a little bit more, I would argue that it does not deliver but that is something that I think, as evidenced, by the, again, by the difference on Rotten Tomatoes, 53% of critics gave it a 6 out of 10 or higher, which means it's pretty divisive. So I look forward to hearing your comments. But for me, I would say maybe miss this one and wait for it to come to Disney+. Plus. That's it for movies this week. I promise we will get away from the Disney slant, the Disney angle next week. We'll get into another big movie from the summer coming out. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is now out in theaters. I will be going to see that very soon. We'll be talking about whether we have a guest or not, I think. We'll talk about the, uh, you know... Quentin Tarantino movie verse, movie canon ranking, uh, where Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fits in. You know, this movie, as you might imagine, is a little controversial because it's, a, it's about some revisionist history, as many of his movies are. It's about the, the uh, Manson family murders of Sharon Tate and others. And it's about, you know, how this is different with, you know, Quentin Tarantino's takery on the events. Okay. So, stars Brad Pitt. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Margot Robbie, and a lot of other people as well. But we'll talk about that next week. But for now, that's it for me. You've been listening to the Showtime Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And until next week, have a great night. It's never too late to dance.